I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is episode 83 with Gervais Manguana. This is actually the first of three episodes with Gervais. I'm going to trickle these out over the next week or so. Uh, This episode is about Gervais's backstory, about his own retrofit projects, and particularly about his Enerfit that he did a few years ago on a little cottage in Herefordshire. The next episode, episode 84, will be about ventilation and more of a sort of general retrofit, how deep to retrofit. And then part three will be all about air tightness. It was a wonderful three-hour conversation that just flew by. Um, Yeah, I'm excited for you to hear it. So I first met Gervais when he was doing his Herefordshire Enerfit project on his own house um, and I was brought in to do an earth floor and we chat a little bit about this in this episode. It was I think it was the last day when uh, we were sat around at lunchtime and we were talking about our previous lives and Gervais told me that he'd formerly been a globe-trotting DJ superstar and I actually realized that uh, I danced to uh, to him DJing in London many years before. Um, and in fact, he was quite heavily involved in the the music scene that I was into. So that was a a lovely little surprise. Um, also, uh, we found that we had a a mutual connection in meditation. Uh, both of us have done Vipassana sittings. Um, that comes up a little bit over the next few episodes. So a little bit of background is it's a, a, a 10 day meditation. Uh, you can do longer ones, I think. Gervais did a 20 day one and you go and you sit in silence and you meditate yeah I've I have done a couple now uh one in Canada and then one in Herefordshire uh, just down the road from Gervais as I mentioned at the end of the last episode I am going to take a little break um, and enjoy not building my house for a little while uh hopefully go on a long long bike ride so yes no podcast episodes for a little bit what else to say patrons uh first of all welcome ewan mccaffrey uh thank you so so much for supporting over at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability there's a link in the show notes uh everyone who supports is a total hero and 
I really struggle to express uh, just how much it means to me. So thank you, everyone, Ewan and all the uh, the existing supporters. I've got a competition uh, running throughout August. Uh, so if you've been on the fence about supporting, then maybe this can lure you in. Uh, and it's a beautiful hand-woven pack basket. And that is a, a woven backpack. Um, it is hand-woven by me. And if you want to win it, all you've got to do is become a Patreon supporter in the month of August 2022. And I'll draw a name from a hat and it could be you. Yeah, there'll be pictures on my Instagram, on the Building Sustainability Podcast website and on the Patreon page as well, just in case you don't know what a pack basket is. Also, because I always feel bad about all the people that are already supporting, uh, I've got a bowl that I hand-turned. I think it's my best ever bowl. So I will give that away to one of the existing supporters. Okay, I think that's everything. I should also say up front, there are a couple of little swears in this chat. Uh, So do be mindful of sensitive ears. Uh, Enjoy Gervais. So I'm Gervais Manguana. Uh, that's the how. That's the way I say it most of the time. Um, most of the time, <laughs> <laughs> people always ask me, you know, "How do you say your name?" They don't know, um, and I say, I, "I don't really know either." My mum knows, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't think I've ever quite got it right. So I kind of I've given up caring. Um, I generally I'm focused on retrofit. That's my that's my big passion, really. Um, but I'm also uh, accredited air tightness tester. Um, and I do, yeah, so I, I also look after a fairly, well, a modest-sized district heat network at the meditation centre that we were both familiar with, um, two biomass district heat networks that they have there um, because I live just up the road from them. and And because of that, I've kind of, yeah got much more ginned up on building services than i was before um i used to be um a dj and music producer till about 2008 until in fact i sat my first meditation course oh well that that was Um, the turning point was it oh yeah definitely oh wow yeah no i went to my first course um I, i was struggling a bit i'll be honest and i think my agent had kind of my agent was a friend of mine he was um He'd been a promoter in Leeds and then he'd sort of started working for an agency that I was with. And he'd kind of basically asked me to write another anthem so that he could get me gigs. And I was quite cross about it. And and so I wrote him like an uncharacteristically mean and um, uh, harsh email, like, and then got on the train to my first ever meditation course and spent the next 10 days feeling very bad about the fact that I'd done this. <laughs> with but nowhere to time, escape nowhere to escape <laughs> yeah. and, but at the same time realizing that it was also it was just a product of you know knowing that I, it wasn't really what I should be doing anymore mm-hmm. um it took a little while after that to kind of extricate myself from it and and I did that by moving from London out of my studio moving up to Manchester to help out a friend who was um in quite dire need who's having a bit of a midlife crisis and in the middle of a some flat conversions that I'd been helping him out for, for for a while with. I was just taking some time off every now and again and doing some stuff. And he had one to finish off. And me and him spent nine months in this cellar redoing this this flat in a very, 
very environmentally friendly way. So I'd only intended to go out there for, for a short period of time, actually. Um, and met my wife through through the meditation. We were just we just sat together, and I'd always so I did a I did a degree when I was in my twenties, on a, you know in the standard time. Made a complete hash of it, a complete and utter hash of it. It was a very bad time. Learned how to make music instead, and so I'd always what had the, this. What was the degree in mathematical physics? Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, and I was way out of my depth, and I kind of I was just talking about this quite a lot because I, I had massive mental health problems basically leaving home going to university. And I just was completely unprepared and didn't really realize it. I never realized that I was like chronically depressed and mm. didn't have, there was no, there was no support. It wasn't a narrative then at all. So I just kind of plowed through and failed every year. They gave me a degree out of shame, I think more than anything else. Um, I think it was more because they wanted, it was a very new course and they didn't have enough people on it. And if they failed us all, then they wouldn't have any funding for the next time. So somehow, I, I, I mean, I literally got like 20% in every years exams and they, right. they gave me a certificate and said you've got a degree it was you know ridiculous um but I always had this idea that I really would like to study but I didn't really know what I wanted to do and then some friends of my parents suggested I go to CAT all right so in 2009 I did the Reby Masters at CAT part-time living in Manchester expecting to be going into wind farms and solar and all of that and having chosen to do the renewable energy rather than the hairy builders course mm-hmm. um instead and because I, I sort of identified more with the maths and the engineering stuff um but very quickly the kind of built environment side of it was the thing that kind of tweaked me more and living in manchester this massive solid walled victorian housing stock i just every every module i did somehow seemed to focus on retrofit so yeah, I kind of came out of there just sort of retrofit focused um, in 2011, wrote a thesis on um, moisture in walls, did an experiment. You know, there was a friend, fellow CAT graduate who was did a retrofit in Manchester and I stuck some monitoring edge wall and did a did a sort of an assessment of that very, very badly, probably. Um, <laughs> looking back on it, you know, it was, it was just, I mean, thesis, master's thesis are just an exercise in doing a thesis. They're not, not really that. The, the the research itself isn't as important as you think it is at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got involved with another cat graduate that, that was kind of uh, locally funded, uh, local energy funding schemes, and we used that. I used that to fund purchasing thermal imaging camera and a air tightness fan, and we did a whole load of basically sort of sat based assessments in Chalton in Manchester where I lived at the time, um, with the idea of kind of mapping the housing stock there so that we did like 20 or 30 of them and the idea was we tried to do as many different types and then people could kind of identify with the house that was like theirs and see the report of it which is an idea that's sort of coming back around a lot more now Mm. um and then i retrofitted our house in manchester quite deeply but very much on a budget it was quite a small place um which you can see online because i think the carbon co-op did a bit of an interview about it um and then I started working for the Carbon Co-op, um, that you're probably familiar with. Uh, do you want to explain their... what, what they do? The so Carbon Co-op, it's a members co-op in Manchester. And it, it sort of think it started out more as a kind of energy focused thing, but it, there was a very distinct sort of retrofit aspect to it. And they do an assessment, they have an assessment process and a tool, which is, um, it's basically a facsimile of SAP. 
um, the standard assessment procedure, um, but built into a web-based um, uh, piece of software. So much easier and more user-friendly than um, than SAP itself is, and much more, it's not a black box. You can kind of look at all the bits of it and play around with it much more easily. It was developed by um, Tristan Lee. Okay, you know, Tristan? Don't, know. don't know Tristan, no. Do you know the Open Energy Monitoring people? Uh, no, so I don't. Open, open source, I don't know about it too much, but they're a bunch of wonderful geeks, uh, developed a bunch of monitoring stuff that's all open source. So there's there's lots and lots of it now. I've got one a car charger. But basically, you, you kind of need to be a bit of a programmer to be able to kind of do it, which is why I've always shied away from getting too much involved with it. Uh-huh. But it's it's quite big in the scene. The, the, you know, it, it, I think it's, yeah, it's well-liked, but it's... I think it's 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 liked by people who for its open source aspect and it's freely available kind of ness. Yeah. But um but as a kind of robust, um, kind of very widely applicable kind of just dump it on a bunch of ignorant people, not gonna work so much. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding of it anyway. Anyway, so I helped them sort of developing the tools so that it was more and more useful and then started doing assessments for them in sort of 2015. Um, and that, that is the carbon co-op is now people powered retrofit and launch. Aha. Yeah. Cause, cause you're a, a director or a trustee. Or I'm something. a trustee of them now. Yeah. Board, board member. Yeah. So they launched last year. So they had a couple of, uh, one of, they were one of the base funded pilot schemes. There was seven or eight around the country. There was one in Bristol, Bristol, CSE, future proof. Oh yeah. Register, all, that, yes. all that lot. So they were one of them. Um, and and then people bad retrofit was one of them. So it was a base funded thing for a couple of years that ended last March, and then they decided to sort of go it alone and um, went out for shares, got a massive load of money together, and and launched in sort of November. Great. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of for me, it's just sort of carried on from what we were doing, and it's just got a lot more serious. They've got a full staff now, yeah. and we had a staff and board away day in in um, some Walter Siegel. Um, houses in a youth hostel in near Chester. Nice. I think I think that might have been what I saw a photo of. Yeah. So I was yeah somehow weirdly sort of front and central in that photo. Yes. <laughs> yes. You were. <laughs> sort of found myself. There. I was like, oh, am I, should I be here really? <laughs> They're wearing orange as well or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just such a wonderful thing to be involved in. Um, it's it's so brilliant. And they really kind of so I moved down to Hereford in 2018 a place that I knew because of the meditation centre, but we came here so the children could go to the Steiner school here. There's a state funded Steiner school here. And we knew a lot of people who already had kids there from the meditation centre and like in the local community. Plus it's like, it's a real low energy hotbed around here. There's uh, Mike Whitfield and Di Reese who are both passive house new builders. We've got Nick Grant um, and Alan Clark. We've got Andy Simmons. All got um, George as well. George is just up the hill for me. Yeah, He he popped down, uh, when I was working on your floor. Oh, did he? Yeah. You know what? I don't think I knew him then. Uh, he just said, oh, I heard you were working down here and I thought I'd come and say hello. And uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I just built this little little straw bale house out of panels. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, oh, that's wonderful. And, yeah, really wanted to, to go and see it. But, yeah, it was, I think we went a couple of days over on the floor install. So it was. Did you? Was, right. Okay. I was you kind of. <laughs> over what i what i wanted maybe but yeah still... sure i can imagine i can imagine <laughs> um but yes uh, so it was funny to find out that he's you know his 
straw bale house is is sort of one of the yeah the benchmarks of of good passive natural yeah absolutely yeah yeah clay plaster as well isn't it yeah yeah so he's like we go riding on sundays he lives you know i can i can walk there yeah he's the nearest yeah although they're just mike's just building another passive house and people around the corner from me so there's you know there's a, there's a really good i don't know what it's like density wise but i kind of always we always fantasize a little bit that we're uh kind of got a, for a rural location i guess we've got a, a bit of a passive house and low energy uh, hotspot. yeah so yeah we moved down here and i initially thought maybe we'd buy somewhere we had ideas about community you know getting small holding a few people together and so we sort of rent somewhere until we saw where the land lied but i just couldn't quite face living in um an unretrofitted house right <laughs> so we ended up looking for something that was definitely a doer upper found something and initially wasn't going to go for benefit but and i got tim martel who's not that far away over in stroud to come over and kind of do a quick phpp and he said i don't think you'd be able to get it there and i said well this is what i'm planning to do and he went away and came back and said actually it's not that far away so at that right. point we're like, right, well, okay, maybe we will. So um, we decided can you describe to describe the. Can you describe the house? Or, yeah, what so it was yeah, before. it was it was what have I've just recently done an assessment for people who said that the original cottage was a hovel, which is obviously a, it's a, there's an actual definition of what a hovel is, which I keep meaning to look up, but I suspect this is what it was here, and I think it was probably one room with a fireplace and possibly a bit of a loft upstairs that maybe you could sleep in. Uh-huh. So when it was originally built. 1838. Yeah. Um, it's called Reform Cottage. So it was, it was built around one of the Reform Acts at that time. And I do actually have a lot more information about it, but I haven't yet had the time. I've got the deeds from pretty much every sale since the one after that, excluding the one people that I bought it off. I've got everything yeah. else, big wodge of stuff. But when, when I've got some time and retired, uh, <laughs> um, I'll look through. But um, yeah, so it's that that's the original cottage. It's tiny. It's sort of like, I don't know, six metres by three metres or something. Mm-hmm. Solid sandstone. And it literally just sits on mud. It's That was one of the things that Andy and I first found out. I got Andy Simmons to come out here. It's actually when i first met him properly because uh, he lives in hereford and he did his he did the, one of the first retrofits passive house retrofits in the country if not the first at his house in in hereford so i i paid him for some time to come out and um and we better poke around to see if it was a goer basically i'd done mm. the clr course which he was CLR? Running, uh carbon light retrofit the aecb's retrofit course excellent you know a really good level of information a lot of levels about retrofit that the ACB runs. And I'd done that um, just after doing my house in Manchester, actually. Um, so I knew him a little bit from that. But yeah, I got him out for like an hour and we kind of poked around the eaves and tried to work out you know, whether it was worth doing. And what, one of the things we found out was that the, the stone walls were literally five centimetres, 10 centimetres on clay, no footing, yeah. just sat there. Um, which was going to make insulating the floors very challenging. And we're mud mm. here, it's clay. It's very, as you know, it's clay here. So that was the original dwelling. And then in 1900, they extended it, doubled the size of it with a solid brick um, extension. And then it had a double pitched roof. And then sometime in the 70s, they lifted that up and put it onto a single roof. So then it got a proper upstairs. 
left a lot of the original roof inside uh-huh. <laughs> weirdly yeah. like a lot of the original sort of chestnut beams and stuff were just sort of inside the loft space and kind of yeah very weird and even some of the slates and bits of tar and this right. is how people build in i don't know how people do it elsewhere but in herefordshire as far as i can make out from most of the assessments i've done there's an old little stone building somewhere in the bottom that people have just slapped stuff on with <laughs> mu- not much care to kind of tidying up you know it's just literally it's functional kind of add it on add it on very hard to kind of work out um there's obviously very little record of them so that kind of doubled it and then in 2000 just before the woman i bought it off bought it somebody stuck a pretty disgusting brick and concrete block cavity um almost doubling the size of it on the end with and new pvc windows Oh, is that the bit sort of far end from the... From yeah, the from the drive, exactly. Yeah. yeah, with a weird slanting wall to make, the, yes. make it so the drive could come down. Yeah. <clears throat> so altogether, quite a mishmash. And I went to the planners with a pre-app to say, look, I want to wrap this totally. I was expecting initially, because PPR's um, carbon carp are very wood fibre oriented, and I'd done some jobs in Manchester where, where we used wood fibre, and I was quite wedded to wood fibre. But it does particularly then have the disadvantage of cost and poor performance for thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was expecting to do that. And I was expecting on the sort of front facade of the cottage, which was sort of the nicest of the lot, to not really be able to do it on the outside. I was expecting to have to internally insulate. That was kind of my initial plan. Because you, was, they, because it changed the character of the... Exactly. Building. Yeah. But actually, it was a bit of a mess. There was a massive bulge on the front wall. Um, and you could see where they'd lifted it up. So there was this sort of seam across. And then the person who'd done it in the 70s, it was sort of bits of rough stone and that, but it was clearly not the same original wall. Yeah. And the gable end was just a big, which is, was the bit that was exposed to anybody you could see. The only bit that anybody could actually see was this gable end, and it was just a patchwork of, you know, bricks, bits of concrete, you know, like not, yeah. you know, not a beautiful old preservable stone wall. And yeah, the the planning people were great. Actually, they said, "Yeah, kind of get it." No, initially they said, "No, you're going to have to keep that, and you're going to have to keep the windows." And I said, "Well, which windows? You want me to keep the brand new PVC windows, or the the ones that are in the house that are different from that?" She's like, oh, uh, "Okay." I said, "Well, I want them grey because I don't know why I want them grey." She said, "Well, if you can find me somebody else who's got grey windows in Hereford and take pictures of them." It turned out Andy had grey windows, so he sent me pictures of his oh, house. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um so that kind of gave us the go-ahead. And then um we are now moving into um my house. So I decided it was going to go for Enerfit and wood fibre was now I wouldn't gonna get to wood fibre wasn't gonna get to Enerfit with wood fibre. So I started looking at EPS. And this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is actually because obviously we ended up the reason I met you is because you came and did an earth floor for me with your mm-hmm. team of um i don't know it was like a mix of volunteers and no no they were all they were all paid they were my right they were all paid yeah. but they were on a course or something were they were they learning no no there was uh there was a few people that didn't have as much experience that we were yeah. training up but and yeah. they were yeah they were kind of i still use the bin that you cut hay in <laughs> Yeah. it's because it's got a flap on the top of it right because you yeah. cut the flap out don't you and then put yeah. the lid back down again so and that's great i just that's my workshop bin it's still my workshop <laughs> bin. i've got a free bin out of it it's great um <laughs> i wonder where that had gone 
<laughs> right. I thought it was just like a thing. You just bought one for every job and left it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how eco I am. Just yeah. single-use plastics. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, I I knew some people who'd had an earth floor. Mm. Uh, so Di, Di Reese um, is a guy who now builds passive houses around here, but he had a renewable energy company called uh, Green Earth over Galway. And they'd put their own earth floors in. I knew they'd done that. Oh, right. So I, the earth floor was a thing. You know, we were been aware of it. Mm. But because of sequencing, um, I really need to get the floor in something to work off quick. Yeah. Um, and because of the what I'd mentioned about the the walls being sat on the ground, I'd got a structural engineer who so who'd I I'd gone through um back to earth down your okay. way actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I used to get my wood fiber stuff from. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to him about the potential for doing floors like um, glass, foam glass floor or something like that. And he'd said that he knew a structural engineer who had a, had a way that could be possible where you kind of ramped floors, where you had, you kind of left a kind of 45 degree hill underneath the wall, inside and outside. Okay. Um, which obviously is still going to have bridging issues. Yeah. But but it still means that you can get depth in the middle of your floor, although, mm. albeit that's sort of where you need the installation less. Anyway, he was a structural engineer from down in Cornwall somewhere, but somehow I managed to persuade him to come up here. And he came up and said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of the ground, because of the ground conditions. Yeah. So then it was like the only way to insulate the floor was going to be underpin the house. Um, which was a deeply scary, or what a friend of mine from Sheffield describes as um, expensive jobs that, that are very scary and you never get to see. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. You can't really appreciate that every day, can you? No. And yet, yeah. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a five figure job. Right. Um, and the, the but, job is literally dig a little bit out from beneath. Yeah. With... So it's 900 mil at a time, I think. Right. Um, leaving, is it 900 mil segments? I think it's 900 mil segments, leaving two 900 mils in between. So you do it in thirds. Yeah. Um, and we went down two feet, I think. We went down 600 mil. And, I mean, I didn't do this. I got somebody else to do it. Who was very experienced, kind of hands-on buildery type, you know, like not you know, not a big firm or anything. But yeah. it didn't bother him. Well, it didn't appear to bother him that much, actually. I don't know how much he worried about it. It scared the willies out of me. Yeah, of like, course. Just these steel kind of box section steels just holding up like 400, 500 mil, pretty badly built as well, stone walls. Yeah. Um, and and then the brick as well. So the solid brick was also just sat, no footing. So like much thinner. Yeah. Like for me, it was more like a knife sitting on clay rather than, you know, a spoon sitting on clay. You, know, you can sort of me, understand the the wide, you know, spread. Yeah, the, exactly. The load. Yeah. But the brick, I just couldn't. And, the, and yet there've been no problems with it at all. And there yeah. still, there still isn't. So that was pretty much the first job, break the floor out and then, and then get that dug out. Um, but the, the brilliant thing that it gave us, because there was quite a lot of damp problems in the walls. Mm. It meant that we could put a mechanical, you know, a, um, a physical DPC. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So damp proof course, uh, acronym busting. So yeah, <laughs> Thank we, you. you can buy you can buy like damp proof course that is six hundred mil wide. 
thick stuff. So they, you know, they put this in and lapped it for every 900 mil. So where we had walls, like there's a, I don't know if you remember, but there's a retaining wall just on the end of the house. There's sort of a kind of ditch around the outside of the house. And uh-huh. there's been a lot of moisture. There's a lot of runoff from the road. And so that corner of the house, it's sort of the north corner of the house, was sopping wet. But because we stripped the plaster on the inside and because we took the bottom out of it and it was Mm. like that for almost a year before it got rendered, that all dried out. And the new damp proof course um, means that, you know, the the big problems that would have been with externally insulating with EPS, which was what I decided I was going to do, was what is left in the wall, Mm. what still can get into the wall and therefore what will not be able to get out of the wall and all of that just disappeared without being able to put in a stamp proof course. So it was a kind of silver lining in what was otherwise a very expensive, scary job. Yeah. Because it, it made a lot of other things possible. Um, but what we wanted to then do was to put the, you know, kind of, I now started to use traditional um, to mean concrete and, um, and, uh, yes, that's a common thing. PU foam. I, yeah, I'd say <laughs> conventional is how I would call it, but not conventional. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I use it slightly tongue in cheek. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> the, tradition, the traditional method is concrete and PU foam. So, <laughs> um, so that's what we did. We put um, PIR and a, a you know concrete base. But oh, no, maybe just, I'm not sure. If, if, I'm not sure if I managed to persuade the building control to go for just hardcore, which is what I'd done in Manchester. Right. I just put hardcore under my PU foam, and then put a screed over the top because I didn't want to dig out very much. But I think here we were sort of forced into putting a hard, you know, a concrete base down. Mm. Yeah. And then I think we put concrete on top as well. Um, and I was expecting, so I would, we'd sort of written off the, the earth floor. And then a friend of mine who was helping me out, another meditator friend of mine is did his prof dip at cat as well. Actually he's an architect now. He came down to visit and help out for a bit. And he'd been to see John Christopher's house in Birmingham. Do you know John Christopher's? Or know of John Christopher? No. Uh, so I don't I don't know him well, but I have actually just coincidentally started working with him on a on a project. But anyway, he apparently had he's got earth floors downstairs and upstairs on suspended timber upstairs floors. And this friend of mine happened to come down and sort of say, I've just been mentioned it. I mentioned it to the project manager who was helping me out. He knew that you'd just done um ed and marina's place yeah so that was that was how you sort of came but all of a sudden it was like oh god we can have earth floor <laughs> yes. so i always feel like we have a bit of a pretend earth floor because um it's a finish yeah you you've yeah. got what i would call brown washing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm kind of aware of that and um <laughs> yeah so this is one of the things i really wanted to touch on is like my approach i always think my approach is is um i'm not a purist mm-hmm. i'm i i i'm a pragmatist um and so i'm kind of yeah i i think i try to find a balance between lots of things it's kind of my nature i'm a pisces um i'm just yeah there's otherwise i, I find it hard to make decisions i can yeah. get quite extreme and and i, I have found myself getting down quite a street extreme kind of viewpoints in the past. And I try and avoid doing it for my own um, sanity these mm-hmm. days, because I don't think I wear it well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I try to kind of, I end up kind of with a sort of mixed and matched approach. 
So yeah, I brownwashed our floors with, uh, with a, and you know, to be fair to me, like the, I, I absolutely wasn't going to have it if, if the clay didn't come out of the garden, which, which ended up being quite stressful because you needed samples. Mm. We were on a schedule as all these building projects are. I mean, it was spring 2018 and we were moving in in July. We had a, we had a moving in date. Um, and you needed samples in front to test so that you knew what mix of sand you were going to be putting into it, which you know with the kind of clays that you'd more traditionally used. Um, so there was a Friday night. We had a digger on site and previously mentioned builder who'd also done DWI, Dave. I'd been asking them for days. Can you, can you like, we had a septic tank to put in, a, a treatment plant to put in. And I, so I knew that, down there there was going to be some clay that we'd use i've been asking them for days even weeks like can you just get me a few bits of the clay out of the ground out? and nobody managed to do it so i was there on this friday night so me as it was getting dark me and dave we had the digger out and we kind of scraped off a bit and then we got to a bit i was like this stuff's a bit it's not great but you know it's gonna to have to do kind of thing and then we went a bit lower and we got to the kind of you know the really good stuff um and then i got that off to you and, we, and i knew that down there there was going to be enough um, yeah. to do the rest of the floor and i've still got bags of it like lying in the <laughs> lying in the garden yeah because i remember that initial conversation because the the difficulty is i mean as you discovered your your dig was a really good example it's like you there are different seams of of earth you take take away the topsoil and then you go down and you thought like oh this is this is something but then you went a bit further and it changed it went from like gray to brown didn't it there was something. um no it's red it's all sort of red oh, that but it was it. just it's it's a bit mixed on the top. It had other stuff in it, basically. Yeah. I don't know if it had been, and it wasn't so much that it had been turned over, but it just wasn't as pure, you know. Um, and then I, I, I think we broke through a tiny kind of bit of. It's it's hard to call it even rock here, but it was a little bit of a. There was a little bit of a mud stone kind of shelf, and then mm. underneath that was was something a bit more. And in fact, going back to the structural engineer. You know, he obviously he'd had a look at his geology maps for there, and he said it is very much there's he calls them cells, do they call them cells of um, of clay around there. Mm. You know, the, the, it's it's very sort of dispersed. I mean, it's all very red around here. It's very yeah. very red. Although I was cycling on Sunday, and over the other side of the river, it's quite it's quite grey actually. There's a bit where it's like, have they put something on the fields here? It's not red. But then I looked at the ground, and it's like it's a bit of a different colour. Yeah, but it is the other side of the river. I, I was yeah because I I was very nervous about uh, using your well leaving you to dig the clay but then I think you might have sent me a picture or or I think I came over maybe but you were showing me mm. this hole it's like ah they, yeah. these guys are doing it properly you know they because yeah. I didn't want you to dig a load of one clay and then move to a different thing and dig dig me something else up yeah yeah uh, could have thrown everything out so. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. 
So, yeah, I mean, my memory of it is that you you were kind of expecting with your normal stuff, you had a mix of like five to one Santa Clay, mm. something like that. And um, so I sent you this stuff off and you ended up at 15 to one. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's a, not a fair comparison like for like because I was no. I was mixing your stuff up to a, a wet consistency, uh, right. which sort of changes um changes how much clay goes in into one sort of volume. Um, right. Oh, I see. But yes, right. I was always... very surprised when yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't yeah. expect it to be that strong. Right. So that's strong. So I've never quite understood that. That's like is the clay was strong. Yeah. Yeah. Really strong. So yeah, and then we got. We got local sand as well, which you know there's quite a lot of around here. Um, so I was happy, you know. So that's that's the thing. It makes me happy, makes me fuzzy, makes me yeah. feel fuzzy that I've you know <laughs> I've done something like that. You know, I brown washed my floor, but I brown washed it from my garden. You know, yeah. I mean, to to call it brown washes, I mean, it's still better than you know doing a concrete screed or yeah. But you know, there's a concrete floor underneath it. Though. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I feel. I feel bad for saying. Brown no, don't don't worry about it. It's all right. I like. I, it's something that I I hold myself. You know, the the other option was going to be um, engineered oak because we knew we were having underfloor heating, and I'd had I'd put solid maple down in um, reclaimed maple down in in manchester never again <laughs> <laughs> reclaimed yeah scrape it yourself local. oh yeah. yeah 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 like a gym yeah. floor type yes i don't think it was gym floor but um yeah that yeah but no no parquet oh, okay yeah yeah i'd done actually done a gym floor for a previous friend who was um that i did the building thing in manchester for his in his bar in manchester we put gym floor down there and didn't get rid of the the lines, and that was oh, the, yeah. like a feature of the floor. Yeah, um, yeah, it was that was real fun. I really enjoyed doing that. That was easy though. You just like bang it, nail it, lovely. Yeah, forget about it. Really super easy. Um, yeah. So, so there's like a lot of elements about the house. You know, we in order to get it to benefit, you you've got to go pretty hard. Mm. So it's got eight inches of it's got two hundred mil EPS all the way around um we had to do a mega job on the roof it had to be it had a re-roof anyway a retile but um it, it needed a lot of adjustment rafters needed extending um but that gave us an opportunity on the cavity to to do details a lot of the details around the junctions which are the really tricky bits in retrofit so getting eight inches of external wall insulation to somehow meet 400 mil of uh, warm cell insulation in the loft in a way that is bridge free effectively yeah. is 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 difficult and now we're doing i'm doing retrofit involved with mass retrofit schemes uh, uh you know loosely in some in some cases social housing stuff that we're doing that that is the really challenging stuff um and and when you're doing a one-off and you're kind of throwing everything at it it's not so difficult but we you know i came up with a wide really a detail I'm really proud of that, um, to, to deal with that and to tie in the air tightness and everything. And it also meant that we could cap the cavity because that's another big problem with external wall insulation and cavity wall insulation is making sure that you haven't got thermal bypass in the wall. So you've got to make sure that there's no air getting into the top of the cavity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so all of this was, was worked out. Um, and, you know, we got really nice detailing on that. Um, but there, that's all in kind of, you know, I've got polystyrene bead 
put into the tops of the walls and got it all filled up, got him to fill the chimney up as well. So that's, that's, you know, it's nasty stuff, but it performs really well. It's got really good moisture um, profile as long as it doesn't get, you know, sopping wet uh-huh. um, compared with like blown mineral wool, which is what is existing in the walls. And then, you know, I wanted some nice features inside and we've got a yew tree. We were cutting one you know, yew tree that got well out of hand. So quite a lot was getting cut down and I knew a green woodworker, and he made a beautiful banister for us out of the out of a bent piece of view that I found. I was like, I think this can be, I think this can be a staircase. So is that silver? He's like, yeah, I can make that. Is that silver? Yeah, silver. Yes. So you probably met silver at, at Ed's. Uh, yeah, I, so do you know Sylvan. what I didn't actually? I met him randomly on a straw bale building course in South Wales. Oh right, yeah. But yes, I was instantly charmed by him. A wonderful. Yes, job. he's instantly charming. Yeah, uh, he's, a very, <laughs> he's a very good friend of mine. I love him very dearly. Yeah. Um, and he's actually, it was, I was talking to you recently, I was asking you about um, a tiny home. Yes. Yeah. On a trailer. Yeah. That's Sylvan. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Sylvan's, Sylvan's, um, he's, he's currently designing his, it's quite a large trailer actually, I think compared to yours. Right. It's a 40 foot, it's a 40 foot trailer that he's owned that for some time. Large. Flatbed, the metal flatbed. Yeah. He's got three children. Ah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so he's. Yeah. So that's a lovely little project, actually, because I'm obviously membranes, mechanical ventilation, you know, and you know, this kind of pragmatic approach. I love my mm. earthy materials, but I, I pick and choose. And I, I also like very high performance. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a bit shy of doing embodied carbon calculations. And I certainly was when I was doing this, doing this place. Uh, and he, yeah, he's doing, he's not using any tapes. He's not using any um, gunk. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty much all wood fibre. I've talked him into warm cell in places. That, that was it, because you were asking my, uh, my advice, weren't you? And, and yeah. I said, oh, yeah, I went tape and MVHR. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gone that route. Yeah, so I'm not sure where we're up to with ventilation with him. But it's really nice that we're, it, it's an example of, actually, what we were talking about before, just before we, got, we came onto recording, I think. Two people who have, I guess we don't have extreme, not extremely polar, um, at least not on the building sort of matter, but we definitely have different opinions about things and we have to mm. kind of negotiate that. But it's really nice that we were, were able to find a way to collaborate on something where we don't, we definitely probably wouldn't have the same approach. You know, he came to me and said, look, I don't really know that much about this stuff. I know that you do, but I want to do it this way. And I'm really open to you sort of saying you're just not going to be able to or whatever. Um, let's, but you know, that in itself meant, okay, right. Well, I can go the extra mile for this guy and let's find a way for it to work the way that he wants to do it. You know? Like, yeah. So I've gone out there and gone like, okay, you know, to all my woolly mates and sort of said, okay, well, we really want to actually go as woolly as we can here for Sylvan. And, and we've, you know, we've come up with something that hopefully will, you know, will work well. Um, it's great it's a lovely little project they're so nice tiny things i mean it's it's kind of new build as well although there is the flatbed to work you know, yeah work around it's got lovely limitations isn't it it's really nice working to limitations <laughs> i don't know if i would say they were lovely they're, <laughs> they well, were, they're a headache but then yeah as you say it is nice like to have a strict constrained um thing to work to is i mean i complained about it but it is in many ways better than having yeah, blue sky to 
to sort of get overwhelmed by. I think this is one of the things that I love about retrofit, actually, because I just have the kind of mind that um, that uh, I do not find choice liberating. I can't go in supermarkets unless I've got a very distinct list. Yeah. I, in fact, I, when I have my music studio in in London. I think this isn't a false memory. It might be a memory that I, of a joke that I made about it. But I used to. There was a while where I was so down on my luck that I was living in my studio. It was literally my that was my home as well as my studio. I had one key in my life. It was, it was a, it, that was liberating. I used to go to the Sainsbury's up up the road in Whitechapel, and I remember going in there once. This is how I remember it anyway. I went in there to go and get my dinner, and so repulsive was the experience that I came out without anything because I just, I just was overfaced with the, with the choice. And um, yeah, it was just too much. So I kind of, I like shut myself down mm. in choice making because there was too much of it. I thought my brain doesn't work well with that. So I think that's why I, one of the reasons why I'm drawn to retrofit, because it is inherently limited. It's inherently, you're, you're, there's a really, there's a, there's a framework that you have to work within. Yeah. Give me a totally blank canvas, albeit you've got a plot maybe, and you've maybe got, I suppose, if you've got an outline drawing. But yeah, I think I'd, I mean, it's, it's given me mild chest pains actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, I do like that about retrofit, that it's, yeah, it's stuff that's there that's to work on. So yeah, where we are, we're somewhere in the middle of the house. Aren't we? Oh yeah, we were, you talking about your banisters. Yeah, so talking about banisters. So there's that, and then we, you know, so I'm sort of saying the kind of the brown, green, whatever washing that we've done here. Mm. Um, so although <laughs> we use the air tightness layer here is the on the walls at least is the um, uh, in, internal render. Okay. So it's and it's a cement sand cement render, and, and all of this stuff was moisture checked. So it's EPS on the outside, sand and cement on the inside, and. It's the sort of, do you know Nick Parsons? Uh, I know, I know of, of him. Nick Parsons. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's yeah very willy. So Sheffield Sustainable Building in Sheffield. He's been doing retrofits since before it was a word. I think probably. In fact, I think he's he jokingly says he's now on the third phase, third retrofit of his own home. You know, he's, he's taking stuff out that he did the first time around <laughs> in the eighties. You know, kind of right. twenty mil of EPS or whatever it was then. But he's a he's a wood fibre lime kind of guy, and he he came and did my place in Manchester and he helped me out um, on a couple of other jobs up there. But he's, he's, he's a sounding board for common sense. And we, we use each other now. I'm very, very honoured that he kind of brings me up to, for the same purpose so that you mm. can think through problems rather than there being definitive answers in retrofit. Um, and almost always, this is about moisture. Always, almost always. So that's what we're talking about because that's the thing that scares the willies out of us. Yeah. Um, in other people's homes, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a different conversation when you're doing it for yourself. Yes. Um, but it, but it's it's just, no, it's the same conversation, but the the risk aversion is is slightly less because you're taking it for yourself. You know, yes, and there's everything. certain things where you're willing to be a bit of a guinea pig if you want to try something. Yeah. Uh, whereas. You wouldn't do that to someone else's you know, pride no. and joy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I had those kind of conversations with various different people. This is generally how I work, is I, I have conversations with people rather than going out and getting woofy models even. You know, I woofy, I don't actually know what the woofy stands for. Oh, I don't know that. It's probably German. 
Um, but anyway, it's it's sort of the go-to um, moisture, two-dimensional moisture modeling software that's quite expensive to get. Mm-hmm. I think I did have one done for the one in Manchester, actually. Um, but yeah, it's generally how, you, if you feel like there's a risk that's big enough to check, you generally get it checked with a woofy. You get somebody like Green Gage to do a woofy for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd been through all of that here and we'd, we'd ended up in what I, I didn't imagine I was going to end up in, which is cement sander render on the inside as an air tightness layer and a bunch of petrochemicals on the outside. You know, having mm. started out thinking that I was going to be doing nice woolly wood fiber and, and probably lime. In fact, at, at one point I was imagining doing diaphanite on the, um, right. on, you know, on our internal wall insulation. And it even thought about doing it externally on the other walls. We'd have ended up with a very different performance. You know, it would have been much less well insulated. Uh, so you wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to get Enerfit, presume. Well, not without some pretty serious thicknesses. It just wouldn't be practical. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or cost effective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. do you feel like? Oh, yeah. You, do you feel happy with the the choice? Yeah. Is yeah. That... Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. But I'm very. I mean, I remember an ex girlfriend once said this to me. It's like once you've decided what you're doing. You're almost always happy with it. And it was an interesting observation because about you know, I mean, some people have an insight into you that you kind of hadn't thought of at all. Yeah. I think mostly because you think that's how everybody is. Like you just kind of sometimes you just assume if you haven't thought about it, you assume that how you are is how yes. other people yeah, are. Of well. course. I now am much more aware that that is not the case. <laughs> um, thankfully for the world, probably. Um, but yeah, you know, I kind of. Yeah, there's there's things there's definitely things I do differently, but generally as the overall approach, um, yeah, I, I'm very happy with it. We we love it as a as a home in general. Sonia, my wife, has some um, many misgivings about the kind of complexity of the technology involved in the basically the heating systems, really. Uh-huh. Um, which which will change in time. We didn't put a heat pump in at the time. I didn't have confidence in them, and it was one thing too many for me to get my head around. At the time, we were just having classically having second child during the during the middle mm-hmm. of it. We weren't living in in Hereford at the time. I was coming down here and back up, so it was a pretty it was a pretty stressful year and a half getting it done. Um, but yeah, so it was on. We don't have mains gas here, so it was on bulk LPG at the time, and I didn't really want to keep it on that. I knew I didn't want to keep it on that, so I wanted to get the demand as low as possible, hence the benefit. And, mm-hmm. and I've, we've been heating it with direct electric, so we have a massive thermal store, which has got three immersion heaters in it. Uh, we use Octopus. We were on Agile until that went silly. Um, and now we're on Go, so I get very, very cheap nighttime electricity. We've now got electric cars. We've got a house battery. We've got PV. Um, but, you know, I stress do all the other stuff first, obviously. Yes. Um, and, and all that works really well. Like, so my import is very low and I pay naff all for my, for my energy because almost all of my energy is, is 5p a night, 5p at night. Yeah. Right. You know, I can manage to get it all off that, but it is a bit of a headache to manage. I, it's quite, it's quite manual. Yeah. Know? I think that's probably one of the, the, um, the reservations about going sort of full passive house benefit is, is the, the technology uh, you know being able to use the technology yeah and i think I, I think i think all the others would say you know don't don't do what Gervais did um <laughs> well you know um mbhr is 
for me, MVHR, MVHR has actually changed my life, I think. It's kind okay. of fundamentally changed my life um, in, in a way that I hadn't anticipated. So we, we put it in in the house in Manchester, um, which I, you know, like I said, I, we, we moved over the road to a house that was identical to it. It was in a 1960s link detached, 80 square metres, small, little three bedroom, lots of them in the same area kind of thing. And I very much did it on a shoestring, didn't even take the window frames out upstairs, um, you know, just put new units into them. Um, did it very much on the cheap, used loads of very cheap labor, labor. Um, designed it all myself, uh, made some mistakes, especially about overheating, didn't really think about the overheating. <clears throat> but managed to get an air tightness 0.75 and put in a cheap Ventaxia MVHR. When I say cheap, I'm cheap for MVHR. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but whole house, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've always suffered in my life. I'd always suffered really, really badly from an allergy of some sort or another. And it mostly seemed to be around dust, although animal, um, animal hair was, was definitely a trigger as well, but dust would be a big thing. And come the heating season, I could be triggered off and spend two days just sneezing and my nose running pretty much like brine. You know, it wasn't like, wasn't mucus it was just just streaming water out of me which is right. horribly dehydrating yeah it's just yeah. horribly uncomfortable just constantly like weight wading in snotty hankies and and it just it just went and i don't I, I almost don't get it at all ever anymore even if i'm exposed to the things that triggered me elsewhere it doesn't really happen anymore i was oh, basically wow. cured of a of a lifelong condition, which was, which I, I put up with, but was, was actually pretty debilitating. You know? So that, that's, that's, you'd, you'd say that was because you're just getting fresh air now. I don't know to what extent it's due to the air quality and to what extent it's due to much balanced, much better balanced relative humidity. Mm. Um, and I suspect it's as much the latter. And so it might not just be about MVHR. It might be about more even heating. So not needing to have, so it, it would happen when the radiators would come on, mm. you know, and there's that kind of, you get cold air comes in because it's very drafty. The house we got down to 0.75, it had previously had an air tightness of 13 or 14 or something right. like that. You know, it was, it was, I remember we, it had cavity walls on the side and the front and back were kind of curtain walls. There was a steel halfway across the middle. And then there was this sort of block work behind plastic cladding above it. When, so when we taken the plastic cladding off the front, and the back of the house um, and we'd taken all the rooms out upstairs to, we'd ripped it out. You could actually see through the block work all the way through the house. So, you know, airtight, it was not. Yeah. So when that, um, when that's in the winter, when the, the air outside is, is cold, it, it might be cold and wet, but it's cold and wet because it's cold. And when that comes inside and you comes in right up against the radiators because they're mm. on the outside walls, and they're at 80 degrees or 70 degrees or whatever it is, that air suddenly gets very dry. Yeah. Um, so that might have been a bit of a factor as well. Um, but again, that's that's another thing that you get with the MBHR. So um, I, I, I like to put it down to MBHR. It's a nice narrative to me. Um, and I don't think it, it, it's not a particularly complicated technology, MBHR. <sighs> I guess if you don't know, you have to change the filters. That's really important. Mm. But other than that, it can be set up in a way where it should just work by itself. And 
heating heating can be done by by any method really can't it i think there's a bit of a struggle at the moment in in, in a way in that passive houses are almost too low energy for heat pumps to there was a fine heat pumps that can kind of cope I really and work efficiently. Yeah, that might be slightly controversial, but um, yeah, I mean this ha- this house this is 167 phpp square meters floor area, so it's actually in a sap sense it's it's more like 100 and, I don't know 180. You know, it's a it's a big house mm-hmm. and a, and a peak heat loss. So you know, worst condition heat loss is barely two kilowatts, two kilowatts, something like that. So at the coldest time, the whole house only needs two, two kilowatts to keep it hot. And yeah. you know, the smallest air-to-water heat pump that you can get is five kilowatts, and they say they modulate down to 30%. So that's, you know, not, you know, that's not much less than two kilowatts. And most of the time, two kilowatts is way more than you need. Yeah. So, you know, just by those, I don't know if you followed those, that simple kind of reasoning, but, um, yes. yeah, yeah. um, you know, so it's never likely to be wanting to work at full capacity. So yeah, I am, I'm in the process of kind of designing a system for the heat pump to co- come in at the moment. And we're still, I'm still going to use the thermal store that we've got, which is quite large. So, but I've been, I've been advised don't heat off the thermal store, just run the heat pump stupidly low temperature into the underfloor mm. heating we don't currently up we don't heat the upstairs of this house at all uh, same with the one in manchester that's kind of been the strategies we put the tails in for the radiators but then we never put the radiators in um and yeah i might change that so that's that's one of the things that i think i you know i might do differently um i don't really like radiators they take up space um they're not particularly beautiful things they're they? not particularly beautiful no um and you know and once you put them there you can't really move them you know Mm -hmm. so it's like you can't change your mind you just built a house and you don't know how you're going to use it you can't you can't sort of go all right i'm going to put the radiators over there now yeah it really work like that um but what i'm looking at is a system where i can because almost all the supply air for the mbhr is is upstairs bar one room the room i'm in now which is north facing in my study so i wouldn't harm being a bit warmer anyway so i'm going to put a bit of heat into the supply air of the mbhr 
Many thanks to Gervais for sharing his knowledge and experience. I'll be releasing part two of this chat very soon, so keep your eyes peeled. That's a weird phrase. Um, Reminder that the Patreon competition is open until the end of August. Win yourself a packed basket, uh, photos on social media. And if you're listening but can't support for whatever reason, then please take a moment to share this podcast to your networks. It would absolutely make my day. Okay, back with part two soon. See you later.